This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. As you're aware, we've been in a three-week series called Anchor at the Movies. And the idea behind this series is to help you see and understand that our culture is preaching messages to us all the time. And one of the most profound ways it does that is through movies. It does it through art, through music, through theatre. But movies is a big way that we receive our messages. And perhaps the messages aren't explicit, like... Like, that was really explicit this morning. Be brave, be strong, be what? True to yourself, right? Now, that phrase never crops up in the movie, but the entire movie bleeds that message. And uh, as we look at movies, we begin to see, it begins to reflect back to us what our culture's values are, and it reveals the dreams that our culture has. And so movies are a really important way of understanding what culture is, what the values of our culture is, and what the dreams and hopes and wishes of our culture are. And today, the theme that I have picked um, is almost the same as every other kid's movie or coming-to-age movie that you could think of, is the idea of being true to yourself. And Ferdinand really is just the vehicle to help me achieve that purpose. I want to give you a a quick book recommendation uh, on the screen you'll see behind me, a book written by Matt Fuller by the name Be True to Yourself. It's an excellent book and it has um, informed a lot of what I'm going to be speaking on today. If you want to get it, I think it's about 10 bucks on Amazon. I found it very, very helpful. So Matt Fuller, Be True to Yourself. If this uh, topic tickles your fancy, then follow up with that book. Hey, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to dive straight into Psalm 8 this morning. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are a speaking God. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us see the messages that our culture is preaching at us from all fronts and help us to be a people who would be discerning, to understand what they're saying and what you are saying and and where there are areas of overlap. So Father, we pray for wisdom this morning. We thank you that you promised to grant us that. Give us eyes to see both what the culture is saying to us and what you are saying to us through your word and help us to be a people who are radically formed into the likeness of Jesus. And we pray this in his strong name and God's people said in one loud voice, amen. Amen. Well, as you can see from that little trailer that was played this morning, Ferdinand is the Dwayne Rock Johnson of bulls. He is huge. He's an impressive set of horns. He's imposing. He's bigger than all of the other bulls in the yard. And yet, This is a classic never judge a bull by its cover sort of story because Ferdinand is nothing like what you would expect. Ferdinand loves frolicking in the fields and smelling flowers. He's gentle, he's kind, he's caring. He gets the nickname, the flower bull, and he is not a fighter. Ferdinand is a classic pacifist. He refuses to partake in all of the stereotypical bull-like activities of fighting for glory in the ring. And there is a, a very key scene in the movie Ferdinand where he is trying to explain to all of his other bull friends like Bones, the skinny bull, and uh, Valiente, you know, the, the typical Spanish fighting bull, that he doesn't want to fight. And they simply don't understand. They say to him, what else is there than fighting for glory in the ring? And Valiente, who is Ferdinand's archenemy in the movie, 
says to him, gives all of the bulls really this binary choice. He says, you are either meat, you either go to the chop house or you fight. That's all there is to life. If you're a bull, that is, of course. You, you're either meat, you're either hamburger or you're a fighter. That's it. There are no other choices. And really the movie, the entire movie is built on this premise of Ferdinand trying to find a third Way, an alternative way to the script that he has inherited of the, the choice between meat or fighting. And his quest is to frolic in the hills amongst the flowers and to take his friends to do that. And the key message of this movie is that the way that you achieve your dreams is to be true to yourself. Even if that is an entire conflict to your, the way that you look or the expectations of the culture on you you must be true to who you really are inside. Now, does that message sound familiar to you? In fact, uh, we watched this movie with our GC this week and I noticed that one of the songs that played in the background of one of the montage scenes was the song, I'm free to do what I want any old time. It's not the YSL ad with Dia Lupa on it. It's the uh, 1990 hit by Soup Dragons, I'm free. And that's the message that the movie is preaching at us. And really, it's the same message of almost any current Disney movie. You think about Frozen with Elsa. You think about Moana. It's all there. And it is the mantra of our generation, of our age, be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. It's, it's almost universally accepted in Western culture. And its echoes are heard everywhere. If you've seen the show, uh, the movie, The Greatest Showman, right, with its anthem, its hit, hits anthem, This Is Me, right? And the movie is how about outcasts and freaks and weirdos triumph with nothing other than self-expression and being true to who you are. Or you take the song Jimmy Eight World's song, uh, The Middle, with the lyrics that says, This, live right now, yeah, just be yourself. It doesn't matter if it's good enough for someone else. The messages are everywhere. In fact, Michael Clark, the uh, former Australian captain, cricket player, one of the first cricketers to have visibly noticeable tattoos, was once asked in an interview why he got all of these tattoos, a big giant sleeve down his arm, and his answer was, well, you've got to be true to yourself. Rihanna had the same answer to the question, why do you wear no clothes in your music videos? Got to be true to yourself. In fact, there was some research done recently in the US, and they found that 50% of American college commencement speeches either directly used this phrase, be true to yourself, or applied the concept to students as advice for students to live by. You've got to be true to yourself. But perhaps the one who takes the cake is the queen herself, Oprah, who says this. This is what she says. The quote is there on the screen. The fullness of our humanity can be expressed only when we are true to ourselves. Your real job on earth is to become more of who you really are, to live to the highest degree what is pure, what is honest, what is natural, what feels like the real you. Anything less is a faked life. Anything less is a faked life. Now I think we can hear this message Wherever it comes from, if it comes from our pop culture heroes, if it comes from movies, it comes from songs, if it comes from books and theatre, we can hear this message and it resonates with us, doesn't it? Why does it resonate? 
with 21st century Western, at least, millennial culture? Well, I think because that phrase offers us the hope of a sense of self-worth. It offers us the promise of authenticity and realness and a sense of identity and wholeness. To be true to yourself means to be real and authentic. There is a real you inside, irrespective of what the outside looks like. There is a real you inside that needs to be expressed. And that is how we discover our identity and who we are. Being true to yourself means following your heart, right? It means getting in touch with your inner self and allowing your feelings to guide you rather than the constraints of a particular culture or the broader culture around you. And being true to yourself finally is about autonomy and freedom. And so we hear a message like that and we think, this sounds appealing. So here's, here's my definition of what it means to be true to yourself. Being true to yourself means having the freedom to pursue and express your authentic self by looking inward, following your feelings, and actualizing your real self. It's exactly what Ferdinand does in the movie, or Elsa, or Moana, or any other character that you can think of. The Siamese twin for that mantra is, probably the updated version of it is, you do you. Right? That's the more popular version of it. You do you. Do what you want. Do what you feel like. Do what feels right. And sociologists have a term for this. It is called expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. And my question is, is this good advice? Be true to yourself. Is it good advice? Is it consistent? Is it effective? And what resonance or dissonance do we find with this advice when we compare it and put it under the light of a biblical worldview. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to help us think through this cultural text, this cultural advice that we receive, that we hear all the time, and think about whether it is helpful, good advice. You ready? Good. We're going to look at Psalm 8 in a second. I think this is good advice. Be true to yourself. If. And it's a giant bold, italic, underlined, if. This is good advice if we know who the true self is. It's good advice if we know who we really are. The self is super important, right? It's always been important, but particularly in Western individualized culture, the self is super important. And it's really important when you want to be true to that self, we need a good understanding of the self. In fact, what we need is a biblical anthropology, a, a Christian understanding of humanity, of selfhood. And I think we get that from Psalm 8. So let's go to Psalm 8 together. Psalm 8 verse 3 says this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You made them a little lower than the angels, and yet you crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and all that swim the paths of the sea. You know, in August this year, we had a few nights away 
up at Lura in the Blue Mountains, the Fairmont Resort. It's this beautiful resort that overlooks the Blue Mountains. If you take a short stroll down the road, you'll end up at this lookout down the bottom of Lura, and you're literally standing on the edge of a giant cliff with panoramic views. All you can see from your periphery to your periphery is the Blue Mountains. It's incredible. Blue gum scattered hills as far as the eye can see and mist just dropping off like a tablecloth from these mountains and this blue haze. And then you look down this giant cliff and you can actually see the detail of the trees. It was a a staggering moment. As I stood there with my friend looking out, he was from the UK, actually, he's a pom who lives in Nashville. And he was standing there just gawking at this scene. And we both had this distinct impression that we felt small. That's the psalmist's experience. As he steps out into the Middle Eastern sky and looks up and sees the stars and the moon, the elements that God has hung there, he has this overwhelming sense and realization that he is not at the center of the universe. In fact, by comparison, he is rather insignificant. And God, the one who made it all, is glorious. You see, Psalm 8 reminds us that God is creator and we are created. That God is source and we are outcome. That God is original and we are image and copy. That God is sound and we are echo. And so the psalmist ponders in verse 3, When I consider this, when I look up at the vastness of the universe and see all that God has made, why does God bother with us? Why does God care about me? Like the movie Horton, Here's a Who, we are a tiny speck on a tiny speck in a gargantuan universe. Why does God care? Why does God notice? What is mankind, verse 4, that you are mindful of them, human beings, that you care for them? It's amazing to the psalmist. That the God who spoke these galaxies into being cares, notices, and pays attention to you. Have a look at what he says in verse 5. God, you have made us, humans, a little lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. That's who we are. You see, we're not quite heavenly beings. That word, therefore, a little lower than the angels, is actually the Hebrew word Elohim, and it can be translated gods. We're not at that level of being a celestial, heavenly, God-like being, but God has crowned us with glory and honor. He's put everything under our feet. You see, we are the pinnacle of God's bespoke creation. We are the climax of His creative handiwork. He crowns us with glory and honor. <coughs> this is the foundation of our selfhood. It's the Christian doctrine called the Imago Dei, that we are made in the image and likeness of God. You, every human in this room, I'm not sure if there are any non-humans in this room, if that's possible, perhaps someone smuggled a dog in, that happens occasionally, but every person in this room, every human on the face of this planet, you and me, we have dignity, value, purpose precisely because we have been created by a personal, loving God. 
You see, you are not a random collection of atoms. You are not a cosmic fluke, an accident. You matter. You have purpose. You have dignity because God has made you. Matt Fuller in his book says this of Psalm 8. His, his, his uh, chapter title heading is, We are not gods, but we do wear crowns. We're not gods, but we do wear crowns. And we will never know who we truly are without reference to God. You see, we have been created to represent and rule this world as God's agents on earth, to know and be known by God. That is the real self, or at least that is the foundation of our selfhood. And we'll come back to what the true self looks like a little bit later. But we have to start there. We have to understand that we are created beings, creating the image of God as rulers. We're not gods, but we do wear crowns. The second thing about understanding this, this cultural phrase, this cultural advice that we are given be true to ourselves, is an understanding of our feelings. If it's a good goal for us to be true to ourselves, and if if we are to be true to who we really are, how do we get there? Well, Ferdinand and Elsa and Moana would whisper to us, follow your heart. That's the advice. Follow your heart. Or Oprah will say, follow your feelings. Your feelings are your guide. But the problem with that, the obviously glaring problem with that advice, is that our feelings are fleeting. Our desires are fickle. They change all the time. I mean, we have three kids who will insist on having a single breakfast cereal over and over and over again. It's like just right. Every morning, what do you want, re- what do you want for breakfast? Just right. Just right. You get into a habit. You don't even ask him anymore. You just put a bowl of just right out. And then one day they say to you, I don't like just right anymore. I want honey toast. All right, honey toast it is. Honey toast for the next three months. I don't like honey toast anymore. I want Cocoa Pops. Ah, Cocoa Pops is a holiday cereal only. (laughs) Hot tip for all you would-be parents out there. But our desires change all the time. Just think about the task of scrolling through the Uber Eats menu. Just like, I feel like pizza. Ooh, no, I could really go some Vietnamese. Indian, Indian. Our our feelings are such fleeting desires. They're kind of like Jack Sparrow's compass, right? You know, you want to find out where to go. Don't follow Jack Sparrow's compass because all it does is tell you what you want. That's what our feelings are. They don't tell us where north is. They don't tell us where to go. They're not an accurate guide to live our life by. They just tell us what our desires are. Feelings are fleeting. And so we need something else other than the advice of following your heart, following your feelings. And the scriptures give us two very profound things in order to guide us. The word of God and the spirit of God to guide us through this life. Thirdly, We also need to understand, oh, sorry, let me just take you to this verse from Jeremiah 17. What does the Bible tell us about the human heart? Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's a sobering picture of the human heart. In fact, Jeremiah will will tell us later on in chapter 36 that the heart is so corrupt, we actually need nuance. He says, I will take out your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Our hearts are fickle. Our feelings are fickle. They're corrupt. And really, following your hearts 
is like following a compass that doesn't really know where to point. It is not good advice. Thirdly, the third thing to consider about understanding this cultural script is that we need to understand that there is a distinct difference between collectivist cultures and individualist cultures. Here in the West, we live in a highly, let's call it a hyper-individualist culture. But some of you may not have grown up in a culture like that. If you've grown up in an Asian culture, Pacific Island culture, Middle Eastern culture, you will know that the emphasis on the collective is significant. African culture, the emphasis on the collective is significant. And I think that's one of the reasons why the be true to yourself mantra has so much traction because we, we, we have this sense of liberating freedom from the constraints of the pressure to conform to any given culture. If, you've, if you're a second generation or even a first generation immigrant, you'll know what it's like to be caught between two cultures. When I first moved to Australia from South Africa, I had no idea that Australians were trying to be nice to me when they bagged me out. I was just horribly offended for the first six months of living here. South Africans are so, we're just so straight, right? We, we, don't, we don't really do sarcasm in South Africa all that well. You're caught between two cultures. And so to have this sense of like, I, I want to shun this pressure to be this and to explore and experience this feels like beautiful advice. And some of that can be healthy and good and true, right? The overreach of a collectivist culture that prevents thinking for yourself, that reinforces unhelpful generational things, right? Some of this can be helpful, but my guess is that the way that we receive and live by this mantra, be true to yourself in the West, is not so much about nonconformity, it's about hyper-individuality. It's about who are you, you, whoever you are, to tell me how to live my life. In Disney's world, the individual is king. Not so much in Ferdinand, but if you think about the movies Moana and Frozen, the choices that they both make, Elsa and Moana, they, that they make impact the culture and particularly impact their families as they go on this quest. It's about the collective over the individual. The fourth thing we need to consider is this concept of self-love versus self-denial. I think one of the areas of biggest uh, dissonance that we feel between this narrative, being true to yourself, is that of self-denial. Self-sacrifice used to be viewed as the, the highest of altruistic behavior. Right? You watch any of the old movies, self-sacrifice was the thing. But in our be true to yourself cultural moment, self-sacrifice is often considered self-betrayal. It's not being true to yourself, it's denying yourself. In fact, if you look at all of the, uh, the uh, television commercials for the Australian Defence Force, right, 15, 20 years ago, all of those commercials appealed to things like duty, self-sacrifice, uh, what, what you could contribute for your country, right? Now you look at the ads and the slogan is, my army. Right? It's about you pursuing your career dreams and your self-fulfillment, right? Because... Self-sacrifice simply does not work as a marketing tool for the younger generation to try and get them into the defense force. We have simply believed that self-sacrifice is really about self-betrayal. And that's a problem for us as Christians because the heart of discipleship is about 
self-denial. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 24. It says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now that's really important for us to think about in, in two ways, right? Number one, as we preach a message of self-denial to a world that has drunk the Kool-Aid of you do you, be true to yourself, follow your dreams, follow your heart. This sounds like terrible advice, right? So as, as good missionaries to our culture, we need to think about the message that we are saying and how appealing that is. And is the solution for us to do what the Australian Army has done? Just change our messaging, make it a bit more appealing. It's a really important question for us to consider. But my question is, to a generation who have, who have been raised on these sayings, have lived by these visions for human flourishing, has it worked? Is it effective? Because we're staring at a generation that has more depression, more anxiety, and more mental health issues than any other generation gone by. And I think this is one of the contributing factors. This vision for human flourishing simply does not work. We have tapped out. And perhaps there is a sense of self-denial that we need to recapture. And so let's reorient ourselves around the truest individual who ever walked the face of this earth. His name was Jesus. He is the truest human who ever lived. And he is the one who was genuinely made lower than the angels for a little while. He is the true son of man. And he walked this earth in complete obedience to his father's will. And it is not our task, contrary to what Oprah says, to become more of who I really feel I am on the inside. Our task is to become more Christ-like, to have Christ formed in us, to be guided by the word of God and the power of the Spirit. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, He also predestined with what goal in mind? That we would be conformed to the image of His Son. That we would be made more like Jesus. That's our goal in life. Our goal in life is not a, a journey of self-discovering, self-actualization to get in touch with who we are on the inside. Our goal in life is to be more like Jesus. And so I want to suggest to you that this Advice, be true to yourself, is good advice if we know who the true self really is. If we know that we are image bearers made in the image of a good and loving God with the ultimate goal of being formed into the likeness of the one true human, Jesus Christ. If, if that is what we're orienting ourselves towards, then great advice, be true. Be true to who God has originally intended us to be. But if the version of it is to be true to some inner self, to follow our heart and feelings, then I want to suggest that it's a, the promise of authenticity, freedom and wholeness that sells ourselves far too short of our glorious potential in God. It's misguided advice. But if we understand who we are in God's grand story of creation, fall and redemption and restoration, I think we can see our glorious potential as people, as humans, as selves made into the image of Jesus. So 
if you're here this morning and you wouldn't say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm not a, I, I don't follow Jesus, then my question for you this morning is, is the life script that you are living by working? Like, like is it delivering on the promises that it says it would? Is it consistent? Or is it letting you down? Is it leading you down a path of frustration and disappointment? And, and is there a better way to live? Is there, in fact, a different life script that we could inherit? Well, my suggestion for you is the one that I've just given you. If you are a Christian, where do you see this cultural script of you do you be true to yourself sneaking into our Christianity? My guess is we can see it in all sorts of ways. Our hyper-individualism that says, well, I'm just going to make my life choices based on what suits me best and reject the collective is toxic to community. Uh, that just doesn't work. Similar to the message that James reminded us of last week. I think we need to be thinking about how we can be good missionaries to our culture that swims in this water. What does it look like for us to bring and believe and demonstrate good news to a culture that believes that self-denial and self-sacrifice is self-betrayal? How do we live and model a different way? What does it mean for us as we go to our workplaces and seek to live out the kingdom of God? There are so many implications for this. And I'm actually going to throw a couple of questions up into our Anchor Family Facebook group this week for you to consider either in your GC or by yourself or in your triplet to think through what does it look like for us to do this. But here's, here's my suggestion. We are bombarded with messages every single day that place the self, the I, the me at the center of the universe. And our, my suggestion is that those messages are actually selling us far short of our glorious potential as humans. And it is not until we understand that we've been made by God, to know God, to be known by God, to be formed into the, Christ, into the image of Jesus, that we will reach our glorious potential. So my hope is that you will never be able to watch another Disney movie the same way again. That you will see that you'll have your eyes opened to the messages that are being brought at us every single day and equipped in some way to help think about these in a biblical way. And my hope and prayer as our entire church is, is that we will daily be formed into the image and likeness of Jesus. Let me pray for us as the band comes up to lead us in worship. Father, we thank you that your word is truth. And God, we, we know that so often the, the messages that our world preaches at us come with half-truths and appealing bait that seems to work for a time. So, Father, I pray that you would give us a sense of discernment as we watch movies, as we read stories, as we listen to music. Help us to understand the messages that our world is preaching at us. Help us to be a people who would think your thoughts after you. And ultimately, God, help us to be a people who would be formed into the image and likeness of Jesus to understand who we truly are. Not that our identity is discovered on a journey, but it is a gift by grace that we receive an identity as sons and daughters as a result of the good news of Jesus. Help us to be a people who live in that reality. 
Help us to be a people who would be guided not so much by our internal feelings and following our heart, but a people, God, who would take your counsel, who would be sensitive to the promptings and leadings of your spirit. Oh, we pray, transform us, make us like Jesus. We ask this in his strong name. And God's people said, Amen.